This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. And welcome to Sightlines, your guide to the visual arts in and around Dunedin. I'm Sally McMillan, and this show is brought to you on behalf of the Dunedin Public Art Gallery Society. Today, I'll be talking to ODT reviewer James Dignan about the underappreciated art of writing about art. But first, here's DPAG Society President Ross Curry with the latest on the Dunedin art scene. This is a snapshot. Ross, there's a major travelling exhibition on at DPAG at the moment. That's right, Sally. The Robin White exhibition at the Dunedin Public Art Gallery is on until June the 25th. This warrants multiple visits, so don't leave it too late. White has been a working artist for most of her life, and her output has been prodigious. She's clearly been inspired by the places she's lived in, the artists she's collaborated with, cultures she's encountered, and her Baha'i faith. Her work during a long period living in a village in Kiribati is a documentation of village life. For me, there is much peace, wisdom and tranquility in this exhibition. The show demonstrates White's versatility over the decades and her mastery of screen prints, oil and water paintings, photo etching, woodblock prints, lino cuts, woven pandanas and the magnificent bark cloth pieces with natural dye. It really is an extraordinary exhibition, Ross, and I, I think some of those works have been purchased with society funds. That's right, Sally, yes. The society has funded four significant oil paintings showing in this exhibition. Harbour Cone, Sam Hunter at the Portobello Pub, Fortress House, which features on our brochure, and Concrete Angel Rata. Sally, what were your favourites in this exhibition? Well, it might be a bit perverse, but I have always particularly liked the dead seagull on the beach, which I think is with her son, Michael. But anyway, the gallery is running some extra activities, I think, uh, associated with this exhibition, Ross. That's right. Now, on Saturday, May the 6th, there'll be a screen printing workshop inspired by Robin White's work. This is an adult workshop for anyone over 18. So you can qualify here, Sally. Well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you can learn screen printing techniques and processes and create your own screen print. All materials are provided. At $10 per person, you have to book online through the DPAG website. But hurry, because places are limited. Sounds great. What else is happening in DPAG this month? Well, on Wednesday, May the 10th at 10.15, there's a free guided tour for babies, toddlers and under fives. Discover colour, people, places and the world around us, followed by a morning tea and play space. This session will be in Te Reo Māori and all levels of Māori speakers are welcome. And Ross, our works from the permanent collection, of course, are always on display at DPAG. Yes, they are. Hurahia Anakafetu, Unveiling the Stars, is on until August the 1st. Works from the permanent collection featuring in this exhibition include photographs by long-term society member Gary Blackman, who sadly died recently. Gary's output reflected his curiosity and keen observational skills. He moved with the times, progressing from analogue to digital, as well as embracing Polaroid and computer-enhanced photography. We extend our sympathy to Gary's family and gratefully acknowledge his creative legacy. We do indeed. What's on at other galleries around Dunedin, Ross? 
What FE29, the New Zealand-born Paris-based sculptor Marion Fountain, has an exhibition all through May entitled Parallel Realities. By utilising complementary forms on opposite sides of her cast works, she encourages a deeper conversation, exploring ideas about conflict, environmental awareness, change and growth. And just moving outside of Dunedin for a bit, what's on in the wider region? Well, if you happen to be in Gore this May, there's an exhibition at the Eastern Southland Art Gallery of works by Dunedin residents Inga and Mark Dozberg. Inga, of course, is a former vice president of the society. Primarily a printmaker, she draws her inspiration from the great outdoors. And this show also includes paintings and photographs and finishes on May the 28th. That'll definitely be one to get to. Thanks, Ross. And now it's time for our feature item. This month on Sightlines, we are reviewing The Reviewer. James Dignan has been the name behind the art reviews in the Otago Daily Times since 2006. As well as being a seasoned and well-respected art reviewer, he's a freelance writer, a poet, a singer-songwriter, and has been known to get behind the paintbrush himself from time to time. James is a true creative, and he is with us in the studio today. James, welcome to Sightlines. Thanks for having me. Now, we're mainly here to talk to you about being an art reviewer, but I think that listeners will also be interested to know a wee bit more about the man behind the words in the newspaper. And It's quite rare to meet someone like yourself who has creative talent across so many different fields of creative endeavour. When do you recall first being exposed to art? Uh, well, I'm from an artistic family. My, my dad dabbled. Um, we've still got some of his works at home. And my mum was interested in tapestry and things like that so there's always creativity going around when I was a, a kid yeah yeah so you and you remember that obviously yes. from when you were quite little and do you have friends who are also artists yes my one of my closest school friends from many years ago was Lynn Taylor who's uh, now fairly well-known artist locally uh, I always finish second in my class at art at school to her and through my university time, I got to know quite a few people as well. And of course, since I've been a reviewer, I'm knowing quite a large number of people yeah. locally. So moving in all the right circles. Mm. You yourself have dabbled with art. What's your preferred medium? Acrylic paint. Um, I do sort of stylized portraits and stylized landscapes and townscapes right. in acrylic. Do you have work in galleries that you sell paintings? I have a few works in galleries around town, particularly at Moray Gallery. I've had a few exhibitions. Um, I haven't had one for a few years, admittedly, but I, I sell a few, yes. Right. And I think you write and perform as a singer-songwriter as well? That's right, yes. I, um, me and my 12-string guitar. Wow. Uh, last played at Inch Bar, but I've also been playing at places like Gallery on Blue Skin and at Bark and places like that. So, yes, I... Play around the town. So you're yeah. very, very well known, I think, in, in artistic circles on a number of different fronts around Dunedin. I think the music thing is quite interesting because one of the themes that we've explored on Sightlines in previous shows is uh, a number of our guests, quite a significant number of them, in fact, have gone through university uh, during the time that the Dunedin sound yep. was a thing. Is that something that you yourself experienced? Oh, yes, yes. I was just starting out at university in 1981, which was about the time that it started to hit here, the, the Dunedin Sound, and I know a lot of people in the Dunedin Sound community and have been very influenced by it. Yes, and I think your own music, I think you said, is not dissimilar to the bats. In some ways, yeah. Yeah, so that sort of folksy end yep. of the Dunedin Sound, yeah. 
So you went to Otago University? Yes. Yeah. What did you study there, James? I studied psychology, ended up with a master's degree, and it was sort of laterally through that, I suppose, that got into the, the art because I studied visual perception. And towards the end of that time, I was getting more and more interested in studying aesthetics, which, okay, it's not directly the same as studying art, but it is close enough to have some crossover with it. And hugely useful, I expect, yes. in your current role as an art reviewer. Yeah. When, when you were at university, I think you were also involved in the early days of Radio 1. I was. I was there from about the second year of operation of it, and I'm still officially on their books. I still try and get in and do a show every now and again. Fantastic. Yes, I, I had some experience of that myself, and um, you and I have had a discussion before the show about the <laughs> reasonably <laughs> rudimentary radio setup that we first experienced during those early years. I think there was some event that you attended, I seem to recall, where which led to you becoming the art reviewer in the ODT during your Radio 1 years. Yes, I'd been writing the Radio 1 column and critic for quite some time. And I attended a meeting at the uh, Otago Art Society, and it was while Jeff Adams was president and was also the immediate past editor of the ODT. And he made a comment that if there's someone there who does write, um, who's willing to step up to the plate for an arts review in the ODT, then put their hand up. And I'd been doing writing. I was looking to try and expand some, some way outside the university area and... Yes, that's how it happened. And here we are. Yes, <laughs> many years later. Yeah, and had you had any experience of art reviewing up until that point, or was it just no. dive in the deep end just and see where we go? Just dive in the deep end, and some of the early works I had to do, I think they deliberately uh, gave me some really tough ones to test me out. Yep. So you dive in, and thankfully it's turned out you're quite a good swimmer. <laughs> well, Excellent. <laughs> So since that time, almost 20 years ago, when you boldly stuck up your hand, um, what have you decided that you need to be good at to be an art reviewer? Well, the first thing is you've got to go in with an open mind. Don't have any preconceived ideas about what the art's going to be. Um, Because I've um, been on the other side of it to having exhibitions, I know that you can crush someone really badly if you you give a, a really negative review. I always look at it that I'm a reviewer rather than a critic um, in that I'm telling people what they're going to see. The other main thing which I'd love to get across is the fact that a lot of people go into, you know, don't go into galleries because they're afraid of going in. They think they're going yep. to be pounced on by the staff. Okay, their primary purpose is to, to sell art. But so many of the people who work in galleries love art and love being able to show off what they've got there. Yes. So don't be afraid to go into a gallery. You may not have enough money to buy something. That's okay. Go in and enjoy the art. That is such an important point to get across. And an interesting one in the sense that a number of people that we've interviewed on Sightlines um, have talked about an art purchase that they have made when they have gone with some trepidation into a gallery Mm. with 10 cents in their pocket, quite literally, but have ended up buying something that they've saved up for and paid off Mm. because they simply had to have it. So, as you said, you know, important that people don't feel intimidated out of going across the threshold of those dealer galleries. I read art reviews sometimes, and it strikes me that reviewing is not as straightforward as it might seem at first flush because 
presumably not everything that you have to review is art that you yourself would give house room to and indeed there may be some work that you struggle to say anything nice about. My grandmother always used to say if you can't say something nice don't say anything at all. How do you navigate that? Again it comes down to being objective. If you can't say you know this is wonderful art at least trying to describe it for people Mm. so that they know what they're going to see if they go in there. Try and think of how the artist will have seen it while they're painting it too Um, it's not about what I like or what any one person likes art is such a wide field that everyone has different tastes and art isn't always intended to be beautiful Mm. the the important thing about art is that it gets a reaction and even if you say ooh I don't like that at all that's a reaction and that's something of the art has come across so that's basically what I try to talk about in my reviews Mm. and I imagine there's quite a skill to being able to be objective and being able to have enough information in a review even if it's something that you're looking at and thinking god that's hideous Mm. Um, you know being able to elicit enough information that might still get people along and through Mm. the door of the gallery I think rather than the God, that's hideous sort of problem. The main problem is, particularly with conceptual art, trying to work out what the artist is getting at. Mm. And thankfully, conceptual art galleries, for the most part, have quite a bit of literature available, so you can read as you're going around. Um, But even then, it's sometimes difficult to put that across in words. Yes. And I suppose particularly if it's something that's reasonably complex, in terms of what the artist is trying to achieve yes. and, and sometimes deeply personal as That's well. That's true. Yeah. And with only 200 words available to me to review, it can be tricky trying to fit it all in. You talked before about, you know, art can be not just beautiful, it can sometimes be created for the very purpose of being um, provocative. Yeah. I think a good example of that might be the giant molars on the Otago Harbour oh, yes. foreshore art, which is probably just as well I'm not an art reviewer because I personally <laughs> have a significant dislike of those and would be very happy if they somehow ended up accidentally on purpose actually in the harbour rather than <laughs> alongside it, but I digress. Are they in the provocative of comment category, oh, yes. do you think? Yes, um, very much so. And the th- good thing about them, whether you like them or not, is that got everyone talking about public art locally, about what public art is, what it's meant to be, whether it's meant to be beautiful or not. That's half the point of art, trying to get it so that people talk about it. Yes. Does your choice of language also have a part to play in achieving that accessibility that you have spoken of? Oh, definitely. Um, I do quite a bit of um, work other than for the ODT. I do some writing for local galleries and for local artists. And each of those things is aimed at a slightly different audience. There is a type of art writing. I don't know whether I can say it on air, but it's called art wank. And <laughs> We're familiar with that one. Yeah, and it's... <laughs> Yeah, it's quite highfalutin, I suppose, would be a way of putting it. It's It's quite exclusive language, isn't it? It's exclusive language. And not only is it exclusive language, but it can be quite dense uh, to look at and try to understand. For the ODT, I can't use that, of course. It's aimed at the general public. It may be aimed at people who've not really seen much art at all. So I try to keep my words not necessarily simple, but try to make it accessible for everyone. 
So it's hard, I guess, to get that balance right between making it too basic and yep. people then feel as if they're being spoken down to yep. and making it art wanky so mm. that only a handful of people can actually understand I'll th- it. I throw in a few 50 cent words in there, but it's I try to avoid phrases like, you know, this art is informed by something which is... I know. I always sort of what does that actually cr- mean? I cringe a bit <laughs> when I hear that. But then again, for the gallery work which I do, I have to use terms like that quite yeah. a lot. So you've talked about interpreting things through the artist or through the eyes of the artist. How do you do that? How do you get that information? Well, as often as possible, I try to talk to the artists themselves. Or if I can't do that, I'll talk to the gallery owners. Um, they have a deep knowledge of the art. The artists, of course has a deep knowledge of the art and the gallery owners will have liaised with the the artists on many occasions and will have Mm. some distinct ideas about what the art is like. They're often actually better to talk to than the artists themselves. They are just as likely to have no idea at all about what to say. They do their work through the canvas and or through Mm. the the stone they're sculpting or whatever and don't like talking about their work. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, it can be. It's sort of really difficult for the artist to do that. A friend of mine, local artist James Robinson, once said that you've got to be pretty much schizophrenic to be an artist because you spend half your time closeted away in your studio not wanting to talk to anyone and just conversing with the canvas, if you like. And the other half of the time you've got to be out schmoozing. And Mm. it's two completely different things and trying to get your head around both can be really difficult. Schizophrenic indeed. Have you noticed over the almost 20 years that you've been doing this that that sort of schizophrenic requirement, if you like, is something that has become more acute in recent years as as artists compete for grants and need scholarships and sponsorships in order to make ends meet? In some ways, yes. I can think of one example. I won't name names, but there's one local artist. I really like the guy, and he's a great artist, and he's really friendly, except when an exhibition's going to start. And then he he becomes so much of a control freak that mm. trying to talk to him is really a bad idea. Yeah. So there's this, I suppose, dichotomy the whole time with art, with artists you've got to catch them at the right point and certainly a lot of the artists that we speak to on the show would would, would agree with you wholeheartedly particularly around exhibition opening time that's just terrifying because of course what happens at the exhibition what you might say in your review what critics might say you know has a bearing on their ability to make ends meet going forward so it's important yeah and the thing that a lot of non-artists don't realize is how depressed you can be after an exhibition even if you've got good reviews because you're suddenly faced with You've finished what you were doing. You've got to start something completely new. Yes. You can go into a complete slump. A friend of mine um, actually said she'd had postnatal depression three times. She'd got one kid <laughs> and two exhibitions. <laughs> Very well said. Do you think that being a person with a number of creative strings to your own bow helps you get inside the head of other artists? In I a way? think it does, especially the fact that I've done painting myself and had exhibitions myself. As I said before, I try to be a, a reviewer rather than a critic because I know what it's like from the point of view of an artist having a review. Um, so that helps and the fact that I've done poetry and songwriting um, I'm always trying to shape words so it keeps me going from that point of view Yes, yes 
And do you find that when you go to talk to artists, they they are happy to talk to you? Do they yes. want? Do they read your reviews? Uh, a lot of them do. I've actually had quite good feedback from a lot of artists over the years, from artists who've enjoyed my reviews and wanted to thank me for them. And the same with gallery directors as well. Yes. And in both cases, when you think about it, um, my work is an advertisement for them in some ways. It's encouraging people to go along and see the exhibitions. So they know the value of having uh, a review a review in the paper and having a, a reviewer as a friend, I suppose, in a way. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I, I find that they're usually more than welcome, uh, more than happy to talk, although sometimes they find it difficult to do so. As I said before, they, they do their work on the canvas. Yes. And when you're talking to dealers whose galleries you're going into, do you find that they do often comment on how much they value members of the public coming into the gallery. Yes, and just yes. That's really encouraging because when we talk to people who have an interest in art but not much experience, a common thread is that they do feel hesitant about going into galleries and talking to dealers and curators. Do you think that your columns have a role to play in bridging that gap? I think they do. I hope so anyway because getting people to see art is the whole main purpose of the columns. And if people are afraid to go into dealer galleries, um, then they're not seeing that art. No. And, okay, dealers are in the business to make money, but they don't go into it just for that reason. They go into being an art dealer because they love art Mm. and they love being able to share their information about art with other people. Uh, Sometimes you can go into a gallery and be afraid that someone's going to come up to you and ask you to buy something. They don't do that. More often than not, they'll talk to you about the art and have a long, decent, a really good conversation about mm. what's going on. Dunedin's quite a small place, and I've often wondered uh, whether you have enough, as a reviewer, whether you have adequate material to produce a review oh, every week. For its size, Dunedin probably has more galleries than any other city in New Zealand. It's got, I'd say, about half the art scene of Auckland. And Auckland's wow. got ten times the population. Mm. Um, th- and on an average week, I'm looking at five or six exhibitions, and I can only do three. So people are going to miss out, and it always feels bad that people have missed out on reviews. But sometimes you can get up to nine exhibitions at opening at one time that haven't been reviewed, which can be really tricky. I'll admit there are times when there are very few, particularly towards Christmas and in January there are very few but there's always something going on at the Dunedin Public Art Gallery there's usually something at the museum so those can be Mm. used to fill in the gaps because they're long term exhibitions anyway and it doesn't matter if they don't get a review the minute they've opened Mm. so we tend to save those for Weeks. Oh, I think it's always encouraging for Dunedin people to hear that we're punching above our weight and oh, particularly our favourable favourable comparisons with Auckland are always <laughs> most welcome. <laughs> what sort of art do you like yourself, James, when you're going into galleries? What warms your heart as you walk in and you think, now that's my kind of art? It's very much on a by-exhibition thing. There are, there are some exhibitions I wouldn't expect to like and I've really liked. There are others I would have expected to like and really don't like. My personal favourite styles of art would be sort of symbolist and magical realist art. You think of the sort of things that were coming out in the late 19th century and things like that. And work that's 
been <laughs> informed by those particular <laughs> um, styles. It's stuff that I really like. I, I like surrealist art as well. But anything, a, a beautiful a gestural abstract work is just as good as a, a good landscape and is just as good as a, a good magic realist work. Can you think, and I'm going to put you on the spot here, oh. can you think of <laughs> one particular piece of art that our listeners would be familiar with that you've just looked at and you've just gone, wow, I really love that? The Black Phoenix work, the, the giant oh, ship yes. frontage by Ralph Hotry was really, really impressive. I'd seen pictures of it and I thought, this looks interesting, but I didn't really sort of... Mm. It didn't grab me until I went and saw it one time. It was on exhibition at the Dunedin Public. And I just had to sit in front of it because it was just so powerful. Really, really impactful piece mm. of work. I, I regret to tell you that you're probably not the only person who feels that mm. way about it. <laughs> I recall that you were also involved in guiding dealer art gallery tours around Dunedin for I a time. I was for about two years. Yeah. Unfortunately, the numbers of people coming along to it were too small to really make it worthwhile it was being run by a couple in Auckland who do the same tours in several other cities around the country unfortunately it didn't really take off in Dunedin which is Mm. quite sad it's a real pity and perhaps if someone from the DCC is listening hint hint uh, they could be encouraged to fund those tours and you know put some good advertising around them so that they can be restarted because it really is a way to encourage more people not only to just to come to Dunedin but to enjoy the as oh, you've definitely. said before very rich art scene definitely. that the, we have here the art scene here is one of Dunedin's neglected assets everyone knows that about Dunedin music or everyone who was around in the 80s in particular knows about Dunedin music And we're the city of literature, so a lot of people know how much comes out of the city in the way of words. But Dunedin's art scene is thriving, and I could, off the top of my head, name 20 or more top Dunedin New Zealand artists who come from the city or its surrounds. Which provides great fodder for you Mm. as an art reviewer. James, thank you for being with us today and giving us such a valuable insight into the work of an art reviewer. And of yourself as a man for whom art and reviewing is only one of your many talents. Mm. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's been fun. And thanks to you, our listeners. Join us again next month when we talk to Dunedin artist Geoffrey Harris about his illustrious career spanning more than 50 years. If you'd like to hear today's show again or listen to previous shows, you can find us on the Otago Access Radio and DPAG Society websites. Thanks to contributor Ross Curry and producer Jonathan Quayle. I'm Sally McMillan, and you've been listening to Sightlines. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin, with support from New Zealand On the Air.